0: Uh, John, thank you so very much, it's a great pleasure for Zoe and me to be uh, sharing with this presbytery service this evening. It's just thrilling to think that right across this presbytery, congregations, individuals have been praying and fasting, uh, and we know that the Lord will note this. I'm going to read a few verses from the first chapter of Ezekiel. and if you want to find that in the Pew Bibles, by all means, page 830, uh, Ezekiel chapter one. I'm not gonna read the whole chapter, uh, but selected verses. <clears throat> uh, verse one begins, Ezekiel chapter one, verse one. This is God's word. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the river Kebar. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God." There's the context of all of Ezekiel's work. A little bit further down, the vision that Ezekiel is given begins to unfold and it's a vision that's just extraordinary and we're not going to go into the detail of that much and all as we could and perhaps should this evening. Uh, But this this vision overtakes him and he articulates this uh, before the people and before God. And then verse 22, spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out One towards the other and each had two wings covering its body and when the creatures moved I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters like the voice of the Almighty like the tumult of an army when they stood still they lowered their wings then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings and above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man and I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so that the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Do you know, it can't have been easy for Ezekiel uh, I wonder what you know of his life and work, a prophet of course called uh, to be God's spokesperson to the people of God, so far so good that we get and understand that is after all what prophets do. Many had preceded him so he had plenty of good examples to follow, plenty of role models, but for Ezekiel. The crushing difficulty, maybe perhaps even you would say the disappointment of his ministry was its timing, for his was not a settled moment of prosperity and uh, optimism amongst the people of God. It was precisely and diametrically the opposite of that. The timing of his calling to be a spiritual leader among the people was a time of catastrophic decline in terms of national confidence, political power, uh, economic influence, and spiritual discernment, a time of crisis which would suck out the very health and life of the nation. That was his moment. That's what Ezekiel had uh, been commissioned by God to speak into because this crisis would take his people away from all that they knew and of which they were familiar in the life of Jerusalem and transplanted into exile in Babylon. And he was like an embedded reporter with the people. And in verse 1 of this chapter, we see that he is encamped with them beside the Kibar River. He's right there with them in exile in the early days. This is not an easy moment. It's fierce. And you can well imagine that the question that was on the lips of the people as they sat down by the rivers of Babylon, unable even to sing so emotionally traumatized were by the the events that had happened. We can't even sing the Lord's song in a strange land, they they said, as they wept tears of anguish. And there was, was poor Ezekiel trying to minister to them as they were asking in their heart of hearts, where is God in all of this? Do you know? Where is he? Have we been deserted completely? That's a great question to ask. Where is God in this moment? Said the people. What was Ezekiel to say? (laughs) Well, the answer is from chapter one of this prophecy that he was given a vision. And the vision, of course, is completely bizarre. It includes wheels within wheels and eyes that appear to see in every direction and strange creatures that are part human and part beast, and and they interweave, and the story is told, and it just seems as we read it, you know, as if he's on some mind-altering substance. This this vision is just extraordinary. But at the heart of this vision that Ezekiel has given at this moment of crisis in this darkest of all times is the most extraordinary revelation of comfort in a time of distress. In chapter 1, verse 25, as we've read, after these amazing descriptions of the vision with all its elements, Ezekiel's tone of voice changes. Then there came a voice from above the vault. Above the vault was what looked like a throne, he said. And high above on the throne was a figure that looked like a man. Now, Ezekiel is doing his very best, you know. He's trying to describe what he sees. But he understands as we all do reading this in retrospect that the tools of grammar and syntax are completely inadequate for the task. This is indescribable. This thing that I saw, what can I tell you about it? It looked like a throne. Now that's as much as I can tell you. I can't tell you that it was a throne, that would be ridiculous. It looked like a throne. That's as much as I can manage. That's the best that I can do. That's the limit of my imagination as well as the limit of my consciousness and certainly the limit of my vocabulary. That's as much as I can handle in describing what I saw because I had a sense that God was revealing himself. And oh, when I'm placed in such a moment as that, I simply run out of words. So that it, 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 looked, it looked like a throne. But that was only the beginning because I didn't just see that. Because then by the rivers of Babylon with the weeping people around me mute in their inability to praise the Lord in song, what did I see? All I can tell you is what I think I saw. I I I saw a figure. And I know that God was speaking and that God was revealing himself to me. And what did I, what did I see? Well, I saw a figure and it looked, it looked like a man. Now, now, I know it can't have been a man, can it? The idea is just overwhelming. Absurd that Jehovah could be seen and, and envisioned in such a way as this. Well, what I saw is what I saw. And believe it or not, as God revealed Himself, what I saw was a man verse 28 this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord and when I saw it I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking see where is God in the midst of this well it's a great question and the answer is that he's here you see and he's here with us we now know him to be Emmanuel God with us on the journey elsewhere scripture writers will have hinted at this you know it's it's as if we walk we walk on a journey and suddenly the journey takes us down into a valley and it's an an awful place it's dark it's like the, the shadow of death but what do we find along that journey we're not alone we're accompanied rod and staff at the ready you see accompanied on the journey And this is a good word for us at such a time as this because the road may become darker and the valley may become deeper before this is over. It's a good thing that you have been doing today to be praying and fasting. So what is prayer and why do we do it? Think of prayer as arriving in a room where you join in a conversation which is already happening. Father, Son, and Spirit are there. And they are in a constant communion, a conversation with each other. And you, (laughs) almost like Ezekiel's vision, are given the privilege of access into this space, into this room. And when you get there and you go into that room, astonishingly, the Father pauses, pauses the conversation and looks to you and says, come on. Join him. Tell us, what do you think? Let me hear your voice. Join the conversation. Hungry he is to hear you talk. Keen he is to hear what you think. Aching he is to act on your petitions. Prayer fundamentally is less something that we do and more something that God invites us to do with him. To join in with something which is perpetually happening, unceasingly, pray without ceasing. Why do we pray, if that's what prayer is? Well, one of those formative conversations in the Christian life, a mentor of mine many years ago told me this. He said, David, the greatest single reason For us not praying is that we think we don't need to. Being made you see in the image of God brings with it a burden. Have you noticed? And the burden is that we're like him. We resemble the one who made us. That's what being in his image means among much else. We resemble him We are creative. It means we are resourceful. It means we're aesthetic. It means we are motivated beings. We're workers. We're creators. We like to do stuff, produce things, all of which are great qualities, and we get them from him. These things are kind of distant echoes of his character stamped onto our DNA. And because of this, all too easily, we think we can manage. We really do. We honestly have convinced ourselves somehow that we've got this down, that we, that we can do this. Believing in God, however, involves the absolute deconstruction of our obsession to believe in ourselves and our capacities. Something If we fail to do, we'll get us into terrible bother. David, King David, thought he would be fine, you see. That stamp in his DNA, oh yeah. He fell to his own weakness and sexual indiscipline. Samson, well, Samson thought he was fine as one of the judges, but he fell overconfident in his own strength. Peter, the the apostle, the the keen disciple, inner circle of Jesus, zeal pouring out of him, every pore, thought he would be fine as the keenest of the lot. But he fell, not once, not twice, but three times denying the one whom he claimed to follow first and foremost. We think we've got this down. These stories simply illustrate that at the root of, of the human condition is helplessness. And helplessness is the very essence of prayer and when it dawns on us how helpless we actually are perhaps the lights come on and we see what prayer really means. It's not that we bring all that we are with all that we have become and all our gifts and all our potential to God and then say to him in prayer, Now, Lord, would you please top up these remarkable resources of mine with your strength so that we can get on with the job of changing the world together? No. It is that we come to God in our pitiable state of dependence and helplessness and throw ourselves upon his mercy. Helplessness is the very essence of prayer. Well, you've been praying and you've been fasting. So what is fasting and why do we do that? Well, fasting is the setting aside of normal things for a time, things upon which we might normally depend or become routine to the normal warp and weft of our lives. Fasting, therefore, reboots or helps us to reboot our priorities. Fasting can be for food, yes, but it can also be for work. It can be for our digital devices and the internet. Praise God for that. It can be for the car. It can be for normal family life. It can be all sorts of things that we can set aside for a season, for a time, and reboot, recalibrate our priorities. It topples idols. That's what fasting does. It places the ordinary components of our everyday existence in their proper order. God first, everything else to follow. And when we fast, we are saying to God and to ourselves that we're serious about doing business with Him, about getting this right. So don't waste this moment of fasting, perhaps you have been embarking upon in the course of the last 24 hours. Use what you have learned from it to make some changes make it stick so we come to the reasons and with this I'm going to draw the threads together and conclude we come to the reasons for us setting this time aside today to pray and to fast as a helpless people wanting to be serious with God you see it's not only the pandemic is it Oh, there's been a lot of talk about the pandemic. There are times when I think we talk about nothing else. And undoubtedly, the pandemic has given us pause, but it is not the only thing when we consider some of the major shifts in our social, even our political life in recent years and the resulting challenges that they have brought. To what we have considered normative in the past, it's almost as if we're in Jerusalem heading towards Babylon. So radical are the changes, and could it be that we find ourselves encamped by the Kibar River, unable to praise God, unable even to sing? So overwhelmed do we become with the changes and our lack of ability to comprehend what they mean? Small wonder that people of faith might feel beleaguered and even defensive in light of, of some of the things that have happened even in the last 2 years or 3 years the brexit debate i'm not about to p- preach a political sermon merely observing some political realities the brexit debate what did it do well it opened up all sorts of discussions for us about national identity things that we thought we understood about our place as global citizens under God and his sovereign purposes being worked out in the world, opened up all of that for us to think about again. Locally, its outworking remains deeply contested. Dare I mention Northern Ireland protocol? Probably not. The populism of the Trump administration has left a scar right across a number of civilizations, including our own. The United States it appeared to drive people to the extremes of the political spectrum, and they've never recovered. The wounds are still there. It's divided the nation, if not the world, and it remains divided today. The evidence for it is all around us, not least we can see it on the borders of Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine being worked out before our very eyes, long after he and his administration came and went. The changes to social policy on some of the major ethical and moral issues of the day have come much faster than most people predicted. It's all I'm ever asked about by journalists marriage abortion and soon end-of-life care will all be under the spotlight with the prospect of proposals to permit assisted suicide certainly coming soon enough the pace of change on social policy is so rapid debates surrounding the continuing role of the churches in education could result in changes much more profound uh, perhaps than almost anything else we face, certainly in terms of their long-term implications if the current independent review produces the outcomes that we think it might and if other bills that are currently being processed through the Assembly actually become law. The fragility of governments in London and in Belfast and in Dublin mean that Leadership transition is coming. The way that we organize our lives will all be affected by these things and it's difficult to plan when we reach the end the sort of the end of the shelf life of a parliament. You know, it's very difficult to plan anything because everything becomes uncertain. Commitments that appear to be made become highly provisional and vote-winning pragmatism outstrips principles with ease. These are unsettling times. Have been certainly in my term of office as your moderator but long before that too there will be increasing pressure to hold a border poll. I'm not going to do a straw poll here, that would be highly unfair and irregular, but it's coming sometime, a border poll. Some welcome it, some of them are deeply fearful of what it might mean for social cohesion and peace-building, the twin major benefits of the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. And so we could go on. Add to this cauldron of potions, a pandemic, the shutdown of normal life, the expenditure of eye-watering sums of money which will have to be paid back by our grandchildren probably. And you can see why this season of our lives has been something of a witch's brew. A call to pray and fast for a day has been a good thing for our presbytery to do. So we're with Ezekiel in pondering this question. Where is God in a crisis? Political and social upheaval, such as we've described, is, of course, not unusual in the overarching scheme of things in world history, and we shouldn't, therefore, panic. Civilizations come and go. Empires rise and fall. Governments change. These things happen. Nothing is fixed, and none of us have the right to assume that they should be. So I want to close in this way, with the testimony of some dear friends of mine, who have been there ahead of us, a number among my friends, some who lived through the Soviet era in what was then the USSR, and who therefore understand what it means to be voiceless, declared illegal, having to worship in secret and in some cases running the risk of imprisonment or worse because they confess the name of Jesus. The powerful thing to note about their testimony as to how they managed in those days is one story and that's not where I'm focusing. The powerful thing to note about their testimony today is how often they voice their concern today that the church having been freed from the clutches of atheistic communism as it was in the 1990s has become soft and flabby and indifferent and careless. Now they of course are not seeking persecution. Far from it. They understand what that means and they do not wish to return there. But they warn us that we are so easily distracted from the main task of disciples of Jesus Christ and that God will stop at nothing. God will stop at nothing to get our attention and draw us back. We need ears to hear and eyes to see. So may it be as we pray and fast and seek his face that he may graciously reveal himself to us as he did to the prophet Ezekiel, as the man Christ Jesus, and that he may humble us and draw us to himself with the reassurance that helpless though we are, we are not alone, and that he walks with us every step of the way. Let me pray for a moment. And as I do that, David Johnson is going to come up and lead us into the second section of corporate prayer around confession. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would continue to speak with us, do business with us. And as we move into a time of prayer, of confessing and of thanksgiving and of supplication, may you be so evidently present with us that we are led into your presence with great joy and sent out in your name for the glory of Jesus.